Ashley kept warning us that the Holy Spirit was here. Yeah? All right. Well, it's good to be up here. It's good to feel the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know what's happening. We, we do closest to Christ in um, our staff meetings, closest and furthest from Christ. And um, it, it's, it's a joy to be able to say, I had to say this week again, I was like, I'm sorry, but it was worship again, right? It was worship. And, and I haven't always been able to say that. And so be able to say, that's, that's what church is supposed to be. It's always supposed to be a closest to Christ. So um, again, excited that everybody is here. Excited to continue in our series, The Characteristics of a Disciple. We've talked about many different aspects, and these last three are the biggest, probably the most foundational characteristics of what it means to be a disciple. We talked about hope, uh, but now we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about love, which I, I went back and forth. Latin, next week, we're going to talk about faith, and I was like, well, which one's, which one's more important? I mean, they're pretty close uh, when it comes to discipleship, but I know that uh, 1 Corinthians says that above all is love. So we're going to talk about love today, but our part will be faith, and we'll talk about that as far as um, our biggest part in this relationship with Christ and our salvation is believing in Jesus, believing in what God says, faith. But that's next week, so let's get to this week. All right, love. It's pretty obvious when we ask what is the greatest characteristics or what is one of the greatest characteristics when Jesus is asked by a lawyer what is the the greatest commandment what is the greatest uh, law of all Jesus tells him love and it's it, our scriptures out of Matthew chapter 22 beginning in verse 34 listen for the word of the Lord hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees the Pharisees got together one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Well, if some of you had uh, seen, oh, let me throw in another plug. If you look on Facebook and you see those announcements about the sermons going on, share those. Share those. That is the e easiest way to uh, share the gospel of Christ. You're just throwing it out there and all your friends and semi-friends see that. Um, and so... This is a great way. Just hit the share button. Um, it's a great opportunity that uh, technology has brought us. I've been getting a lot of responses from mine, but a lot of mine are from Fort Worth. So if we're all doing that down here, we're reaching the community. So hit that share button. Um, as part of that, I bring that up because, you know, we went out on Facebook um, the message coming up, and, and uh, part of my little blurb, as Lisa calls it, is that was the great theologian Tina Turner, right? And if you just see the, the one on Facebook, it stops off Tina Turner. And so I get a text last night 
Well, it's a messenger from messenger. And it's from Julie Gore. And it says, uh, Julie, if you're listening, I'm telling your story. So I get a text or a message and she's never messaged me before. And so out of the blue, and I don't know what this is in reference to, he says, what's love got to do with it? Question, question, question. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And, and it just said Tina Turner, right? It didn't, it, it kind of cut off unless you clicked on it. And so I'm like, was she hacked? Because my mother-in-law has been hacked like eight times, right? Then the last one. So, I'm, so that's all my brain because she was just here. I said, was she hacked? She's never messaged me before. What should I do? So I called Phil when I got back to the house and said, Phil, did Julie message me? Yeah, she thought it was a contest. What, what song it was. <laughs> And she says, what, love, what does love got to do with it? I said two things. One, it wasn't a contest, but she won. <laughs> so you won, the, you won the prize. I was very impressed. And so now I got to come up with the prize for the contest that Julie won. But when we talk about, again, the great theologian, Tina Turner, she asked, what does love have to do with it? And when we're talking about discipleship, when we're talking about Christ, when we're talking, with about, uh, talking about God, love has everything to do with it. Everything. It is the foundation of our relationship with Christ. It is who God is. It is why Jesus went to the cross. It's why we were created. You want to answer, you want to get that, drill down and get the answer to any of these questions? It is love. It is love. And so Jesus had, if you read earlier in this chapter, he's been trying, they were trying to trip him up. They didn't like what he was bringing. And so the Pharisees asked him a question about taxes, trying to get him in trouble with the Romans. He gave an amazing answer. <clears throat> and then uh, the Sadducees tried to ask him and get him caught in a trap with a question about the resurrection. He gave him an amazing answer. He wouldn't get caught. And so our, brings us to our text where the Pharisees give it another shot and they send in an expert in the law. Now, I don't know what answer they were looking for, but Jesus gave them the right answer. He's Jesus. He's always has, he always has the right answer, right? But he gave them the right answer, and he, he quotes from Deuteronomy. You know, sometimes we look at the Old Testament through wrong lenses and we think judgment and wrath, and, and there's judgment where God just gives us gives his people over to the consequences of their choices, remember. It was their choices that he handed them over to. He tried in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is one big, don't forget me. You heard me say that often. It is also uh, the book about keep it ever before you. Keep it ever before you. Keep my commandments ever before you. And so it has all of these aspects, but it's also the, the don't forget who I am. And who I bless, how I've blessed you. And so he goes all the way back there. Because in the end, even the Old Testament is about God's grace and patience. And pursuing us. And always trying to have a relationship with us. And always being disappointed by our unfaithfulness. So he would go, Jesus goes all the way back to quote Deuteronomy 6.5. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, 
with all your soul, with all that you are. And if we're honest, that's a struggle for us. We love them more some days than others. We give them, we love them with our soul sometimes, our minds not as much, right? Hopefully our soul a little more, but we struggle with that because we're human. And so that's really kind of the goal of being sanctified that I increase daily and yearly as I grow in my love for the God with, and I give him more of my heart, more of my soul, more of my mind. Then I'm continually growing into this commandment. But oftentimes we fall short. And that's where perseverance comes in. Never stop. Never quit. When you fail, get up. God gives us a way to to fix things, to reconcile with things. Repentance and forgiveness. So that we can continue down this path and grow in Christ's image. And when we truly grow in Christ's image, we are growing in the very image of love. And so Jesus says, here, this is the greatest commandment. But then, Jesus does something interesting. He gives them a bonus commandment. They didn't ask for number one and two, right? They didn't ask for number one and two. They said, what is the greatest, singular? And Jesus says, here, before you go, take this with you. The second is like it. It is, and he pulls this from Leviticus 19.18. Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against Uh, anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. That's from Leviticus, right? We don't think anything comes out of Leviticus. Jesus threw that in as the second commandment. So, but sometimes, and maybe you guys don't as much, but in theology and pastors that try to parse things so much, we get in this dispute and these debates about, well, who are we supposed to love? This scripture says that means we're supposed to love our brothers and sisters. And who are, are we're supposed to love our neighbor? Yeah, and we get into these little, trying to dis- dissect, who are we supposed to love? Well, just like Tina Turner told us, that what's love got to do with it? The answer to that question is everything. Who we're supposed to love is everybody. And this isn't just my speculation. Jesus tells us. And we see in his examples. We see throughout scripture. So let's go through and say, who are we supposed to love? First, we're supposed to love our families. Right? We're not, we can't follow Christ and not take care of our own families. When Jesus was on the cross, who was he worried about? His mother, right? He said to the beloved disciple, this is your son. Or to the disciple, he said, this is your mother. To his mother, this is now your son. In his most dire situation, in the scheme for the salvation of the whole world, he took time to care for his mother. And so, and that kind of makes sense, right? That's easy to us, for most people, to, to love your families. We know uh, God has given us our families. And, and we're supposed to love, and that comes kind of natural, but we're also supposed to love our neighbor. And in Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan, the, the question is, who is our neighbor? Or that's what they're asking Jesus. But Jesus turns them around on it, turns it around, and says, 
this is who was a neighbor to this man, right? We know the story. A man was attacked by robbers and beaten up and left for dead. And a, two religious people come by, a Levite and then a priest, and they just kind of walk by. They don't want anything to do with that situation. And then a Samaritan, hated by the Jews, big division comes by and renders aid and care and, and, and takes him to lodging. He cares for him. And Jesus says, who is your neighbor? Right? He said, it is the one that showed mercy, that showed love. That's our neighbor. And we're supposed to love our neighbor. We're, Matthew 25 says, help the least of these, your brothers or sisters. When you do that, you have done it to me. You have shown me love. And so we're supposed to love our families. We're supposed to love others. And we're supposed to also love our enemies, right? I said everybody. Jesus said everybody. And he makes it clear. Luke 6, 27 says, But to you who are listening, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Now, this isn't as natural as the other ones. Right? We're, we're getting further away from what's instinctual to us. He says, love your enemies. If you love those that love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners do that. Right? Even people of the world love those who love them because they get something back. It's still about them. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. See, remember, we are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians remind us that we wrestle against principalities and spirits. And that manifests itself in our weakest parts. And so hate and division and divisiveness and all that good stuff comes from us not loving one another. And it comes from Satan working in the, the, the weakest parts of us to cause division. And so when we think about spirits and principalities in this big, we are on the side of love, right? Right now, being on sides is pretty big. We got sides everywhere. Try being a pastor in this political climate in a pandemic. You got people way over here and you got people way over here and you got to shepherd everybody. And so we, we are big about what is right and taking sides. But understand, spiritually, we are on the side of love, not the side of hate. And hate can come in any form, in any political party, in any position that we have. It, if hate defeats hate, hate wins. We're on love's side. And so we're reaching out. We're trying to turn our enemies into brothers and sisters. You know, we're trying to make a friend an enemy. We're, we're, we're trying to, I mean, we're trying to turn an enemy into a friend. And the only thing that can do that is love. So we are called to love our enemies, those that hate us. We are called to pray for those that persecute us. You know, uh, Aaron and I were talking and we were joking about how sometimes, not you all, but church people can be mean to pastors, right? And, and, and it's rough. 
But that's where we learn real quick. We got to pray for those that are persecuting us. And it might be perceived, or it might, but we got to pray for those in our congregation that, has, that have hurt us or have come after us. And, you, you know, when you get in those situations, that's all you got. But that's all you need. I, I can't love like Christ has called me to love. Christ has called me to love others as he has loved me. We'll get to that in just a second, right? Well, Jesus looks at me and sees all my weaknesses and my faults, my things that are annoying, my arrogance. Well, yeah, the, the list is long. Um, Jesus sees that and he loves me anyway. He knows everything about me and loves me anyway. And Jesus says, Jim, I want you to love others like that. I can't do that on my own. I can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. I can do that when I'm around other people that show that same type of love. But we're called to love our enemies because we are on the side of love. And then we are called to finally to, to love the family, the body of Christ. And actually, there's probably more Jesus says about this kind of love than any other love. You know, you go through, um, you go through uh, John 13 and 15, talks about it all the time. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. A new love I, or a new command I give to you that you should love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And in this text, He's talking to his disciples about other disciples and about believers. And the reason I think he emphasizes this so much is because if we are on the side of love, disciples of God who is love, and we are trying to bring love into situations and into the world, then our witness as the body of Christ is love. So what I'm saying is, how can we preach love, love, love? Jesus says, died on the cross because he loves us. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. It is all about love. And then they look at the body of Christ and they're fighting and bickering and tearing each other down. See, it's important that, not that we just fake love or show love, but that we love one another as Christ loved us. Because if we don't, We've lost our witness. We might as well fold up our worship. We might as well stop Bible studies. We might as well do, what everything, do away with everything because we've lost our witness if we can't even love one another. And so Jesus calls us to love one another. And so we ask ourselves, why did Jesus throw this in? We, we understand now who we're supposed to love and why we're supposed to do that. But why did Jesus throw this in there? He didn't have to. It wasn't what he was asked for. When someone's trying to trip you up, it's better, not to, say, it's better to say less than more. So why would he throw that out there? Number one commandment, love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then love others as yourself. Because it is how we are loving one another, go back to our witness, that tells the world how we love God. See, God is this big, sovereign, omnipotent, 
being that we don't fully understand. And it's kind of hard to show love. Like the Pharisees and the Sadducees said they loved God, but yet then they asked people to give money to them and not their families. They wouldn't heal people on the Sabbath. They wouldn't take care of them. And Jesus fought them on this and said, it is not about you. It is not about the Sabbath was made for people to come and to be healed and to be restored. And you're making it all about you. But we love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. So it's a little hard to gauge. But 1 John chapter 4 tells us, and I'll, I get stuck because I want to read the whole thing. But I'll jump to 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates their brother and sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must love their brothers and sisters. So that's why it's such a big part of our witness. That's why it's so important, because how a church loves their family, how a church loves the outsider, the neighbors, how a church loves their enemies, how a church loves one another, is a gauge that tells us how, we love, how we're loving God. It is intertwined. How we love one another is intertwined and can't be separated for how we love God. And so that's why Jesus throws it in, because he says, you want to know how some, a body of Christ, a church, or whatever, a per individual is loving God? Do they, are they loving him with their mind, body, and soul? Look and see how they're loving other people. Because that will tell you. We have gauges in our cars, right? The, we, we can't see what's going on in our oil. We don't know what's, if it's high, low. We don't know anything about that. We don't know if the coolant's where it needs to be. We're not looking in the engine. We can't see it. But we have a gauge that comes on and tells us. Oil's low. Time to get it changed. It lets us know. Well, how we love one another is our gauge to tell the world, do we truly love God with all our heart, mind, and soul? We can't say it. I didn't say it. Scripture says it. We can't say that we do and not love other people. We can't say that we do and not love one another. When people walk through that door, whether it's this church or any other church, it's because they're seeking something. It's because the world is getting crazy. And they're beginning to think, I don't know, there's got to be something else. All this hate and division and backbiting and tearing people down and going after, I mean, the list is long. When, they, when they, that begins to sit wrong with them and they begin, God's prevenient grace begins to work in them and they start to think there's got to be something different. And then they walk through those doors and they feel the Holy Spirit. They see a congregation loving one another, lifting one another up. And as they stay and, and get to know and they say, this is real. They say, there is something different. And the only way they know that is by how we love one another. There's faith and there's hope and there's love. But Scripture says, for many reasons we taught, laid out here today, faith, hope, and love, 
But love among these stands out. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we come to your table, through your elements that represent the broken body and the cup that represents the shed blood, Lord, we are reminded that there is no greater love than one that would give his life for his friends. So Lord, as we partake in communion this morning, let us remind this Remind us, above all else, this is a message of the ultimate act of love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.